Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. As a mom, vegan of 20 years, and entrepreneur, I need a lot of energy. And I turn to Athletic Greens to help me out. Athletic Greens is part of the daily nutrition regimen for thousands of top performers, professional athletes, and health-conscious go-getters worldwide, including USA cycling and endurance athletes. So I knew I would trust them. It's developed from a complex blend of 75 vitamins, minerals, and whole foods sourced ingredients. And it's a comprehensive all-in-one greens powder engineered to fill the nutritional gaps in your diet and support your body's nutritional needs across the four pillars of health, gut health, immune system, energy, and recovery. And these are all things that I'm super interested in. I put a scoop in my smoothie in the morning and it feels amazing to know that I'm set up to feel my best and sustain my energy all day long. Try for yourself at athleticgreens.com slash lit yoga. That's athleticgreens.com slash lit yoga and get lit up. Good movement and welcome to Redefining Yoga, a lit yoga podcast, which is designed to investigate all aspects of the modern evolution of yoga from my background as a physical therapist and lover of movement. My mission is to help everyone find freedom through smarter and safer movement patterns so together we can be uplifted, benefiting all beings. Welcome to Wednesday Q&A where you all ask the questions and we answer. I am joined by my wonderful, fearless co-host, physical therapist, lit teacher extraordinaire, Kristen Williams. Hey, Laura. Hey, everybody. All right. So we have a good question here about down dog. The question is pretty long, but um, let's get started. This is from Chris Wong. She says, I always get confused. Should the shoulder joint internally rotate or externally rotate? in downward facing dog. I read an experienced yoga teacher said, if we externally rotate the shoulder, when the arm is overhead, the tendon of the supraspinatus will get trapped between the acromion and the humeral head. Shoulders should internally rotate, allowing the scapula to rotate outward and upward. On the other hand, some other teachers said the external rotated shoulder when arm overhead helps to engage serratus anterior muscle, increasing shoulder stability. My take of these two is allowing the scapula to rotate outward and upward is the logical way to do it when the arm goes overhead. However, the external rotation during arm overhead position is more like an action to create the integration. No actual rotation really happens when arms are up. I would like to hear your opinion. We will give it. Why don't you start off, 
Miss KB? Yes. Um, well, first of all, I think she nailed it right there on the head, just saying, you know, first of all, in down dog and many weight bearing through the hands positions, down dog, plank, quadruped, you know, I personally am not really thinking about what's happening at the humerus so much as, except for the fact that it's centrated. So I'm thinking about where are the scapula? Are the scapula neutral? So in your down dog, you're not, yes, the scapula, when you lift your arms up overhead, upwardly rotates and elevates, but you want to feel that set of the scapula on your ribs. Uh, What's happening at the humerus? Is it internally rotated? No, I think it's pretty well in neutral. It's not, and there might even be a slight, what might feel like external rotation, which I think what she was hitting on when you really ground down into your hands, you get that, like that dialing out, like you talk about, and that goes up the chain and feels a bit like an external rotation. But I would just encourage everybody to really bring their, not only their verbal cueing as teachers, but as practitioners, try to bring your frame of mind proximally, you know, to the scapula, even more so than the humerus, with the exception of always wanting that humerus to be in the center of the socket. So you don't want it to, you know, internally rotate because we tend to associate internal rotation with forward movement. Whether that's in fact happening or not is truly debatable. But what, you know, what's your take on that, Laura? Well, I totally agree with you. I think she's really got the components of it. And I, similar to you, really, yeah, I don't think I've referenced what's happening in the humerus, um, especially in a fixed position, you know, where you're weight bearing. I'm really more concerned like what's happening in the scapula and then what's happening at the elbow and the wrist, like the things that surround it, but I'm always going to go proximal. And then what is supporting that proximal, just making sure that it's doing that. So for instance, if somebody was internally rotating, it's going to look, I think, like they're elbows will start to wing out a little bit because that's what happens when you internally rotate and your hands are loaded in down dog. So instead of telling that person to externally rotate, which would not be helpful because they're pro- I would want to, I'm more curious about why. Maybe they are having some fascial tension across the, the lats, you know, and that's making them bend their elbows because the, the way that the fascia connects from the latissimus, which is this big back muscle from pelvis to shoulder, that also where it's, located is close to the tricep head. And so the triceps will bend to kind of release some of that tension. So the elbows will wing out. And then that looks like they're internally rotating because that's, of course, the lats internally rotate. So it's it'll be an easier feel for those people. So I would go into, and this is what we do in our lit classes, go into how we can support the humerus in a more neutral position, the scapula in a more neutral position with the elbows extended knowing that there is that restriction back there. Well, you bend your knees, you rise up on your toes. The more you lift that pelvis, the less drag of the pelvis um, on that back fascia. So when people lower their heels, for instance, in down dog, they're really creating the potential for this movement because they're pulling that fascia via the heels anchoring, you know, because then they've got their hamstrings, their Achilles into their glutes, into that thoracodorsal fascia into the triceps. So it's like a lot of things being pulled on. And that's why it's, you know, we've said from the beginning and big reason why I created this method is there, there was a lack of that looking at the whole picture, you know, understanding the body well enough. It's not a cookie cutter cue thing. So you don't say, 
wrap your triceps in or do this. You have to look at the whole thing. And if, you know, and one cue is not going to fit for everybody by any means. So somebody that's really struggling and trying to get their heels down and in doing that rolls their shoulders into internal rotation, that the answer is not to tell them to externally rotate their shoulders. It would be to free up their hamstrings and back fascia line. So I think it just, again, like I think Chris was really right in looking at how everything kind of pulls into an integrated cue, but you do have to look at the whole body, especially in a pose like down dog, which is for us, like the classic black little dress everybody needs. Like we do it so much, we should really pay attention to how we do it. And it, there's not, you know, it's not like trying, there's no best way. It's like, what's going to be best for your body? That was for a long each individual answer. body. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, that was fantastic. I love that you brought the, the pelvis and the hamstrings and the posterior line into it. That's amazing. So true. It is because people will be really teachers and it's not their faults because a lot of them weren't equipped with the understanding of the body, but they'll get really focused on the shoulders. So this is what they were taught. Like, oh, you don't want the shoulders kind of coming in by the ears in that internal rotation look. Or they'll tell you to pull the shoulders away from the ears. And it's like, well, you have to look at the whole thing because there's probably, their shoulders might be reacting and they often are to something else down the chain. All right. The next question is, this was a interesting one. We discussed this a little bit earlier. Heart Dance Yoga asked, do you ever feel fear What's the scaredest you've been to make a decision, but did it anyway? Bike trip. So she's referring to my bike trip that I did with Mark Hyman when we were wee little tots, not yet married, <laughs> and I had to quit my job and the security of that. So I'll, I'll go first. I mean, I think fear is, and this is why we're so attracted to each other, Kristen. I don't think we have fear. It doesn't mean that we don't feel scared or like we don't feel some fear moments, but I think we know how to deal with fear. And, you know, for me, fear is, it's either like an impetus for something better, like, okay, I'm fearful that I won't be good enough at this, so I'm going to focus on it, you know, or so, or it can really be a detriment. So I think it's like, how do you play with fear in a, in a good way? How do you you know, feel like I'm really nervous to go teach a, a yoga class in front of 500 people and just do it. Like you just, that's how you overcome it. And by overcoming it, so I think the first part of the question is, do I ever feel it? I don't know. I don't absorb it. I think that's the thing. So I, you know, there's like, you can feel something and wear it and then it can really just like kind of become your, your code of, uh, code of arms that you've like created. And so if I've felt something, I tend to just kind of go head into it. Because I know that, honestly, a lot of that is in my head. The only fear I would say I have now is just fear of the things I can't control that I really love. Like my children. My children growing up is an amazing thing, but um, I think it happened. I mean, from the moment they're born, you have to really hold in two hands two things that things. You want to love and cherish them and support them and protect them. And then you have to let them go and have a shit ton of fear about like you're not going to be able to hold them for all your life and they're all their lives. So it's just this, you got to prepare them and and have a lot of just confidence and grace and faith that things will be fine. But that that's where, if I have any fear that wakes me up in the middle of the night, it's always about my kids. <laughs> well, and I love that you just said the word faith right there. Um, when it comes to fear of any type, 
I really rely on my faith and many different types of faith, you know, faith in myself to, like you said, I'm scared about something. Well, I have faith that I've prepared well and I can do it. And, you know, to your point, I mean, I, I'm pretty fearless, just like you, that, 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 that is what we definitely, what makes us sisters, if you will. And my fear stemmed with my children too, because I can't control that, but I have to have faith that I have prepared them. I mean, I look back at the stuff I did in college and some of the decisions I made, and it's like, oh my God, I hope my kids don't, don't do that. But I know that I was you know, raised and equipped, ready to handle all that because I, even though I was wild and a little crazy at times, I was smart. And my parents instilled that in me. I'm hoping I'm doing the same for my children. I am telling them about the mistakes I made, educating them because I, yeah, my, I have one who I sent away to college and that was the scariest thing in the world. But, um, you know, I let her go and I let her make those mistakes and I had faith that she could do it. And also providing that place, that safe space for someone to come back to. So, you know what? I know you're scared, but I'm always going to be here for you. And so I have certain faithful things in my life that I know I can always come back to that gives me the fearlessness to go out and conquer my fears. Because you know what? The only way we learn is from mistakes. If we never try, if we never fail, we never learn. And so fear can be something that if you just kind of go balls to the wall and give it a shot and then you fail, well, you know what? You get back up and you learn. And then when you conquer that fear, there's nothing better. Mm -mm. So conquer your fears, people. Yes. I remember like I had been on this path where, you know, go to college, go to a good college, make good grades, then get your you know, degree and all that and just kind of on that. And so yes, when I quit my job to go on a bike trip, which was definitely out of my, not comfort zone, but just my, my experience, my knowledge. I had no one in my life that had done something that wasn't like that, you know? But I, I remembered back, um, I had dated a guy, this just reminds me, and he's he's a business person. I remember him telling me one of the first tenets in business school is like no risk, no reward. Now, funny enough, I'd never actually heard that before. But that's like an app, like, you know, an investing everything. And it's really true in life. Like you're not gonna get the reward if you don't take risk. And obviously these are risks that, you know, aren't gonna put you in danger, but it is like you, that is part of the fear is that you have to risk the unknown of what will happen. What happens if I, you know, start my own business? And, you know, there's a lot of things that could go wrong that you could fear, but you're not going to ultimately get any reward from it. And even one can say that if it doesn't work out, the value is that you lived through that experience and that you survived it. You know, it's like there's a lot of different rewards that don't equate to success, but to tenacity and to sustainability and to perseverance. And to knowledge, you know? So we'll never grow if we don't struggle, period. That's just like, you know, for anything, oh, that's evolution. You know, there's a struggle in it. I think the best thing, like, we, sh- we can teach our children and someone else ask us, we can parlay this into this. Stacey, Lee, Maloney, how are you handling having children more independent? I think we're both doing pretty well with that. And so one thing is that I think it's really important to let our children know that life has a lot of struggles. We set ourselves up, we set our children up 
for such disappointment with all the fairy tales and all the bullshit, you know? It's like, I'm not saying like, tell him the heaviness of the world, but there's a balance. There's a balance. And, um, you know, that's why I always liked Roald Dahl's and everything because he was, there was darkness in his stories. My kids love that. Anyway, having my children be more independent, I actually enjoy. I love, I love. There's moments in the middle of the night always that catch me and I feel like... Oh my gosh, you know, they're going to grow up and then am I going to see them as much? Am I going to be... And I just will insert myself probably, but I can do that because I have a great relationship with them and and seeing them grow into these young adults is actually super joyful. And like you, I hope that I'm instilling in them the things that they need to be successful. And, and some of that is, yeah, really knowing the realities, knowing that there is struggle and that they're just going to have to like dig deep and keep going that uh, I think that's a super valuable lesson. I, I agree. And I do think it is a sh- it, it's a shame how a lot of our current, I don't know, like just the education system in many ways, or just the way we a lot of people are raising their kids is to never fail. And, and they become dependent upon the parent. And, you know, I, we, and you're the same way, you know, we made it a priority when our kids were little to you know, not have them be so dependent upon us. And that's the, that, and that has held true all the way through school. You know, I, I was not the parent that checked every grade or made sure they did their homework or, or checked their, their essay, unless they asked me to, Hey mom, can you proofread this? Well, yes, but it's like preparing them for independence along the way makes it a lot easier for, but on both parties, you know, um, because it's it's easier on us. Like I have a relationship with my husband because my kids are more independent. You know, they don't rely on me for everything. They, I mean, shoot, they do their own laundry. They, they, they've been. My favorite story is Bailey going into second grade. I think it was or third grade, and we went to back to school night. I think I've told this story on this um, podcast before, and it was like you know that they always have like a little project there for you. Remember, and uh, it was like this is my life as my favorite food is. And you flip a little thing up and it would say pizza. And it was like on the weekends, I, and I flip up Bailey's and there's a picture of a broom and uh, something. She's like, I sweep and mom. And I was like, and that was her job. Her job was to sweep. She was like a third grader, you know? So they've been doing chores. They've been, they've been independent. They've been managing their money. They've been getting allowance. So how is it? Uh, now that I've got one off to college and another one going in a, in, a, in a year, it's great. I love it. I love that I can be still a parent, but also a friend. That, that she's like my my kids are my homies. You know, like we hang out. <laughs> yeah, awesome. I know. I, I wouldn't trade it for the world. I totally agree. Like I just was showing KB my eyebrows that Olivia did last night. I'm like, yeah, it's I have a built-in little buddy and. And, you know, she has a boyfriend now and it's so wonderful to witness her growth. And she was telling me some things yesterday about some of their conversations. And she's like, you know, I just want to make sure that I'm setting the, um, not the rules, but like the trajectory of like what the next month yeah. is going to be like, as opposed to just kind of hanging back and waiting. And I was like, way to go, girl. I was like, learn this early. Like you need to, you know, you're as valuable if not, as your partner and you need to know that. So you don't need to wait for that person to be like the leader on stuff. It's so fun. It is. So, and I would say to all the young mamas out there, like the young ages are sweet, but it does get sweeter, I think, in so many ways. Like it, it really does. It really does. Thousand percent. 
Okay, our last question. Natalie Fox ask about possible thoracic outlet syndrome. Anything to help release the first rib? You have a great oh, boy. stretch. Oh, my so, goodness, yeah. yes. <laughs> I posted this the on first... Instagram so you can take a look at it, but go ahead and describe it. Oh, uh, yeah, sweet. So the first rib, so I'm going to describe kind of what the role of the first rib is in thoracic outlet for people who don't know. So your first rib, if you were to put, uh, or I don't know, you can do this right now, just place your hand on your shoulder right where the neck comes down and, and, and meets what we would call the shoulder or the upper trapezius. Uh, and that is where your first rib is. It is way up there. So what's unique about the first rib is all of your ribs come and they attach to a thoracic vertebra. And the first rib articulates with T1, which is the first thoracic vertebra, and C7, which is the last cervical vertebra. And so if you didn't know this, each section of vertebra, so your thoracic, your cervical, and your lumbar are all different. They're shaped different. There's some transition as we go between levels. And so they might change within their own area as well. But when we're thinking about the thoracic vertebra, they have a little notch in place to hold the rib that's situated above and below it. Well, that first rib, because it articulates with a cervical vertebra above, does not have that little notch to kind of nestle into. So the first rib can get elevated. Well, why does that matter, Kristen? Well, you have a pair of muscles in your neck called your scalenes. There's an anterior and a middle scalene. So if you took your piece fingers, your first two fingers, and put them to make a triangle shape with the index finger of the other hand, the index finger of the other hand is your first rib. Your piece fingers are your scalenes. You can look at that space that you create and go like, all right, that's all the room that's available in that triangle. Well, passing through that triangle is what's called your brachial plexus or all the nerves from your neck to your arm. You can tell I have told this to many, many patients over the years. It's like a, a very well-rehearsed description. So we have this certain amount of space. And then if you took that index finger and lifted it up, even a quarter of an inch, that little narrow space, it can become too small. And so that's also called that interscaling triangle is also called the thoracic outlet. And so the thoracic outlet syndrome is when we have impingement in that triangle. So that first rib can get elevated and then pinch the nerves. Now, in most cases, that can pop up and it doesn't bother you. It might feel like a stiff neck. You kind of, you know, crack your neck or, or move your neck around and it gets better on its own. But if you have an instance where say you have impingement either further up the chain or down the chain, it can cause a firestorm of issues, whether it's neurological, you also have vascular structures that run through there. So we'll see lymphatic structures. So we'll see swelling in this area. We see pain in the arm, pain up in the neck. So when we want to work with this first rib, a really great way to mobilize it yourself. And I, and I, I will do manipulations of the first rib. And, and I, I have literally seen someone come to me. I used to work with army paratroopers and this guy came to me and he'd been dealing with elbow pain for like two years and he'd had injections and this and that. I took one look at his first rib. It was elevated. I brought it down. Pain went away. Now that's a very dramatic, like he literally within months, I had every army paratrooper yeah. in the unit come to see me <laughs> because they were like, Hallelujah. Go see KB. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. Totally. 
But so if you have a strap or a belt or a towel, even if you take it over that, that area that I had you put your hand on, so right where your neck meets the shoulder, and then you can sit on one end with your butt behind, and then you can pull the strap over with the hands in front, what you're going to do is you're going to add a little tension and then just take some deep breaths. And so when we inspire our first, our first and fourth ribs, first through fourth ribs, they kind of lift up like a, like a pump handle. And so by holding that down, the ribs are going to want to lift. And then you're going to, a lot of times you can pop it back down yourself. Now I like to add a little bit of side bending of my neck or even rotation towards and away when I do those deep breaths. But that's a simple, simple way to mobilize that first rib. I would also always recommend with thoracic outlet, mobilizing your upper back as well. Lara also has a great video of me doing some joint manipulation on her. So you can have a professional do it. You can lie over a foam roller or a yoga block and extend, you know, creating that fulcrum on your own. Posture people, I'm going to pass the baton to Lara when it comes to posture and thoracic outlet, but posture, posture, posture. You take yeah, it and run from Yeah, there. everything. Well, those are great recommendations. I have very little to add. I would just say, yes, posture, because if you're rounded, forward head is really going to get those um, scalenes more restricted, pulling up on that rib. Pec minor also attaching there is going to, with the rounded shoulders, you can get that down into the thoracic outlet, can come into the brachial plexus in the front of the chest. And that's really, you know, again, you get all these nervy, painful things that really can be like avoided with good posture, like really, really paying attention to that. And then doing some of these mobility things if it already feels like a little, I mean, because we don't, you know, like we live in reality and we're going to always be, it's it's a constant state of being aware of your posture and and trying to, again, it's not a neutral you know point, but trying to get it better, uh, more optimal. The other thing I would just always add, which I have seen a lot with um, clients is just talking about what their daily life is and you know, not only fixing their computer screen and where where their vision is, so they're not forward all the time pulling on that, but also for those like people commuting to New York, the students who are holding a bag right on that first rib and kind of almost digging into it. A lot of weight in there that also doesn't feel good. And it's not necessarily elevating it, but it can really irritate it. Um, so because it, it is, it's a tiny little rib. So like putting pressure on it, compression is also something you want to avoid um, because you can have similar type of thoracic outlet, you know, repercussions from that just by, you know, setting that head, like when people wear their backpack on one side and uh, yeah, really totally. compress that first rib. So pay attention to your posture, pay attention to your position, what you're carrying, how you're carrying it. You know, hopefully this will help. That's a great stretch though. It's so amazing. As always, this was such a pleasure. We could just talk forever. I love you. Totally. Thank you so much. I love you. And thank you all. We are pulling for you. Make sure you do us a favor and rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast so we can continue to give you all this good wisdom, which we'll do anyway. But it would be great if you just go ahead and did that. Share it with some friends, rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast. Thank you so much. And send more questions. Send more questions. (laughs) That's right. You can send them to us at um, direct messages on Instagram, kbwilliams99 or Laura.Hyman. We're pulling for you. Hold up. 
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.